Please be advised, all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Also, please be advised that the sound bites you'll hear from Dr. Richard Stone, I was granted permission to use from administrative personnel at the VA in Washington. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Coming up will be a Kelson on the Air social work podcast special series entitled Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. Over the next several weeks, you will hear from social workers from all over the country share their stories and their experiences battling and dealing with this devastating pandemic. It is my greatest wish that these stories will garner a new level of appreciation for the vitally important role that social workers play in confronting the challenges, heartbreak, and tragedies this coronavirus is wreaking on all of us. Social workers are there for everyone right now as they are always. To open up this series, please hear this profound message from Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge of the Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Following that, you'll hear from Professor Andrew Peters, LCSW. He's the director of the social work programs at Adelphi University's Manhattan Center School of Social Work. Please listen, learn, and be inspired. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I want to talk to you about our social work community. You know, social workers are always there. They're always part of our team. And they're always interacting with our patients for various specific needs. But now with social isolation, people, uh, people have need social workers for the first time. And our social workers, for the most part, have worked face-to-face with our patients and their families. Now they can't do that. It's very difficult work, and it's unprecedented, the level of support we've gotten from our social works community. I want you to think about how much financial instability has, uh, has been induced during all of this shutdown. Uh, people are worried about money. People are worried about their jobs. People are worried about each other. And it's our social workers who are the glue that holds this together. And in any really good healthcare system, the social workers are out in front trying to make sure families are well taken care of and all of the unique needs that are not met by our medical professionals are really handled by the social work community. So today I'd like you to take a minute and just thank your social workers that are part of your team and recognize how much extraordinary work they've been able to accomplish throughout this pandemic. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce my guest for today's segment, Professor Andrew Peters. He's an LCSW. Professor Peters is the director of the social work programs at Adelphi University's Manhattan Center. He's also an adjunct professor teaching generalist practice, group work, and oppression and diversity. Prior to Adelphi, Andrew worked 18 years at the Long Island Crisis Center, starting as a frontline social worker and later serving as a clinical supervisor, program director, and the associate executive director. Welcome, Professor Peters. Thank you. I'm, I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you so much. So obviously, we're going to be talking today about 
the the COVID-19 pandemic that has engulfed the entire planet. Um, Mm -hmm. You are right there in the epicenter of the outbreak. Uh, New York uh, became the epicenter and New York City became the epi epicenter of the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thankful for you for being able to come on and give our listeners a little insight into some of the things that social workers, social work professionals, students, and administrators as your, such as yourself are doing to 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 address this uh, very very serious issue, and so mm-hmm. just to kind of start things off, um, I'm just going to just ask you um, why should the general public consider social workers as essential frontline workers dealing with this pandemic? Yeah, well, that that's a really important question um, to address to the general public because I think. Uh, yeah, social workers, we, we often feel um, undervalued and mischaracterized by the yes. general public. But one point that I would make is that um, in terms of New York State, I mean, I was very pleased that when you know, a testing protocol rolled out, um, social workers were included as you know a priority category to get tested. Yes. So, I mean, there was at least that level of acknowledgement, you know, because, you know, we are in contact, we are still working. Um, we're providing, you know, uh, some of the very basic, you know, services to live, um, such as housing and food, and um, uh, we are serving in a lot of residential type settings for folks who, uh, you know, are not living independently um, at the moment and would not get by uh, if we weren't there. So I'm, you know, talking about, you know, folks who are mental health residences, talking about kids and foster care residences that, uh, you know, need a a, a caseworker to be, uh, you know, evaluating their care and that they're still, you know, provided for. Um, Of course, social workers are also in hospitals, too. So, um, you know, that's the real irony of uh, being left out as well, because there were no social workers that were just, like, sent home because COVID hit. Um, They were, you know, busy, um, you know, handling multiple things, you know, at the hospital level, um, you know, and then exposed to, you know, heartbreaking things just as uh, uh, all other healthcare workers were with, you know, the uh, tremendous volume of uh, sickness and death and, uh, you know, family members not being able to be with their loved ones and, you know, trying to bridge that gap. Um, so, um so, yeah, I mean, you don't think of us that way. And, I mean, I guess my last, you know, soapbox statement would be that, you know, that's because we serve populations that are invisible to a lot of folks or by choice are invisible to a lot of folks. Um, if you're, you know, living with mental illness, if you're living with, you know, uh, 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 mental uh, intellectual disability, um, if you have, you know, been, uh, you know, incarcerated and are now integrating back in the community, those are not the folks that, you know, you, we, we think of, uh, you know, uh, being served. We think of, like, the regular guy who, like, appreciates the, the delivery boy and uh, the uh, grocery clerk. And not to put any of that down, but, you know, that's kind of the point that I'm making, that it's our perspective on um, who is, you know, New York City or who, who are we as uh, people. And it, you know, includes uh, homeless folks and uh, all the different populations that, uh, that need social workers. Absolutely. And, uh, you brought up some very interesting points. Um, and one of the things that spurred me to embark on this special series was that, uh, 
very early on, very early in the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak, uh, there were a lot of uh, um, public service announcements and uh, PSAs and a lot of uh, media um, statements about, you know, thanking the heroes, the frontline heroes, the essential workers. And as you said, yes, um, you know, of course, our uh, medical professionals, our doctors and our nurses, absolutely. And our anesthesiologists and our respiratory therapists, absolutely. Yes, 100 percent. And and I like to, you know, lend my voice to thank them. Uh, and yes, the EMTs and the firefighters and the police. Um, and then, you know, they started talking about the, like you said, the delivery people and the pizza guy and the grocery store workers and the Walmart workers. And, and I, I, I'm grateful to all of them, but I and many of my colleagues all around the country, and I started hearing and seeing a lot of it on social media, uh, we all began to say, that's all great, but what about us? What about the social workers? And and all the social workers, professionals, whether they be in academia, working professionals, uh, clinicians, they've all come to the same understanding or made the same statement is that, you know, we feel that, you know, people don't really recognize us because a lot of the general public also, in addition to what you said, uh, Professor Peters, a lot of the general public just doesn't know what social workers do. And Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you had mentioned that, you know, um, that we're essential workers because, you know, we work at places like uh, uh, Health and uh, Human Resources Administration and ACS um, Mm -hmm. and and the home visits, you know, and that was very interesting that you brought up the point about social workers, you know, you know, making sure that they test social workers because we are the ones that are in those spaces in those places and going into the homes and working in the hospitals also right along with the doctors and the nurses, you know, covered in PPE, personal protective equipment. But in the instances of home visits to vulnerable families, um, maintaining essential services. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that as it relates to what your Adelphi students and in, in social work administration has been doing to address that? Yeah, well, you know, we we found that, you know, some in some areas, the uh, agencies, even city agencies, were able to um, you know, change the the way that uh, some work got done. Um, but there certainly were a lot of social workers, continue to be social workers, we are still technically shut down here in New York City, um, who, you know, had to brave the streets because they were, you know, doing uh, their weekly home visits um, to uh, homeless clients, uh, to families, um, you know, that, uh, you know, were receiving services because of issues of abuse and neglect or, um, uh, again, you know, the example of uh, foster care families where it's critical that, you know, somebody's looking out for the kid um, and making sure that, you know, they're still cared for adequately. Um, so, I mean, one thing that makes me think of with, you know, you, I, I know exactly what you mean, you know, uh, you know, there were just about every company that advertised on TV put together some commercial that was like, thank you to in showing pictures of, you know, a doctor, a nurse, uh, you know, a firefighter, a policeman, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, we went through all of the same kinds of challenges because, you know, if you can imagine, you know, getting up in the morning, depending on who you live with, 
you know, you're worried about their health, um, you're worried about your own health, you're brave in the streets, um, and, uh, you know, worrying about getting exposed that, that whole time, and knowing that, you know, what you do, you know, is a life-or-death scenario in some cases, because, you know, folks still need foods, folks need medicines. Uh, early in the epidemic, um, you know, that was like a real concern in particular because, you know, probably everybody can relate to, you know, we all went into this panic mode of, okay, let's stock up on toilet paper. Let's stock yes, up on, yes. you know, cold and flu medicine in case something comes up and you'd see completely empty shelves. Well, us middle-class folks who are privileged, we could do that. And we complained, you know, we complained that, uh, uh, you know, oh my God, you know, I can't, you know, find toilet paper, how ridiculous is this? And people are ordering stuff online. But if you can imagine, you know, for a homeless family, for a family that, you know, has uh, been challenged, you know, by uh, severe mental illness from one of its, their members, social workers were out there making sure that those folks who could not go out to the store, you know, for various reasons, who, you know, found empty shelves, you know, when it came to finding gloves and a mask, you know, we were out there, you know, uh, addressing those needs um, for those families. And I'm so proud of our students. I'm so proud of our community because that's the positive side of all of this that, you know, as heartbreaking as it got at times, it was a time of immense pride in our profession, too, that we keep this work going and uh, folks go above and beyond. I mean, they, they, you know, were even volunteering after their jobs to, you know, deliver food. So yeah, so we love our communities, we love our profession, and you know, there's there's with a tremendous of really high quality work going on. And also, many in the the general listening public may not be aware that social workers are actually uniquely trained and qualified to help people with some of those things that you just mentioned, such as enrollment and entitlement programs and safe discharge planning to support groups and caretaker education. What should the listening public know about, you know, some of the education and the training that goes into allowing somebody to step into a crisis situation like this and be uniquely trained and qualified to help people when a lot of other individuals might say, well, I want to do something, but I don't just, I just don't know what to do, which is, I think, the point that a lot of times people miss. Social mm-hmm, workers mm-hmm. know what to do. So can you enlighten our listeners a little bit about that, please? Yeah, well, ab- absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, to give like the healthcare example, the common misconception is that, you know, folks need to, you know, see a doctor or a nurse, but, you know, why would they need to see a social worker if they have a medical condition? But, you know, in some cases, it may be because they need assistance in even communicating what issues are going on. We all know that environment, you know, contributes to health outcomes as well. So social workers are there to, you know, evaluate um, what environment that they're going back to, what types of supports that they have, so that they hopefully do not come back, you know, they get good treatment, and um, they're supported in their communities. They have, you know, uh, a way of uh, financing the cost of uh, health care, um, which obviously is critical. And, you know, is also somewhat tied into this, too, the social justice issue, because we certainly saw that, you know, uh, poor folks who most of the time are less likely to access health services regularly because of cost, because of, you know, the uh, 
the headaches of, um, you know, just getting, um, you know, those types of services uh, approved and getting enrolled, you know, we're there, you know, enabling people to get equal access to health care as best we can. So, so that's an important component um, uh, of, it, of it all. Yes, and absolutely um, very well put. And it's almost like social workers, we become the safety net for those whose net has kind of like had a hole worn in it, for, for lack of a better analogy. And that's what I think people miss. What we do helps the person who is struggling to be able to just kind of get a firm footing and just kind of stand up and recalibrate so that they can move forward because they don't have the resources. They don't have the wherewithal. They don't have knowledge about things that are available. And that's one of the powerful things that social workers do, that social workers enable people to be better and to do better. But people only see them after they've gone through the transition. They don't see the work that goes behind, you know, helping somebody that's homeless uh, find shelter or helping somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't know how to access the healthcare system to find out what resources that are available to them. And mm-hmm. when it comes to students, I know that there was a, a, you know, a very nice article in the, uh, the uh, Adelphi newsletter, which is kind of how I came to, to have more pride about the program, which I so proudly graduated from uh, students stepping up and stepping into the areas of need so that they could, do their part to help stem the tide of this uh, devastating Mm -hmm. pandemic. How have students been able to utilize the education uh, on the go um, and in like OJT on the job training? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's certainly been sort of like a, recommitments to the, you know, one of our core values is service that, you know, you don't abandon clients. And um, I think, you know, social workers, Many of us even enter the field because we have that under, underlying belief um, and value with that. I mean, the other thing is we're very, you know, we're very good at crisis intervention. Now, this was a crisis that uh, tested even our limits. But, um, you know, when a crisis hits, you know, there is a need to prioritize, to evaluate, you know, what realistically you can accomplish at this moment to alleviate the emotional reactions that folks are having. So, you know, we are well suited for that and we don't rattle very easily. I think you would agree, you know, yes, um, sure. we, uh, <laughs> we signed up to do this work. We uh, are, are fearless about that. And, um, you know, we are committed to our clients. So, so that, that that's the main thing that I think about when you ask that question. Yes, yes. Um, the, the old saying, I'm a social worker, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. I also noticed something very interesting that, that I'd like you to kind of uh, highlight in the faculty member who created the uh, the matrix of uh, crisis intervention supports for hospital employees to address widespread PTSD among nurses, physicians, and other healthcare specialists who were caring for COVID patients. I'd like you to highlight that a little bit, um, and I can share something about that when you finish. But I thought that was very interesting. So if you could just kind of talk about that a little bit. Hi, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. I'm the host of the Kelson on the Air social work podcast, heard and hosted right here on Anchor FM, and I love it. Try it, and you'll love it too. And here's why. First, You get an RSS feed, which is absolutely critical for distribution of your podcast. Your show will be distributed and heard on seven additional podcast platforms besides Anchor. Platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much, much more. 
And get this, they even offer analytics so that you can see how well your podcast is doing. And as if that weren't enough, they also give you a breakdown of what each chart or graph means. In addition to that, when you host your podcast on Anchor, you get international exposure. That's right. Your podcast is heard in different countries around the globe. And just so you know that they're really in your corner, they provide you with info about sponsorship opportunities as well. So for secure services for your podcast, make sure to use your anchor, Podcasting Services. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'd say, um, you know, one of the, you know, innovations, you know, for um, our profession um, during this time was, you know, moving roles and moving into, you know, areas that there was a need for, for help and, and social workers were well positioned to fulfill that need. So many, many hospitals, you know, in our area had days of overwhelming, you know, numbers of intakes. They had just nurses, doctors, all level of healthcare workers who were dealing with extremely high levels of burnout and anxiety and sadness of, you know, seeing so many of their patients not make it and feeling um, powerless too because they knew that there was not adequate care because, you know, they were assigned to more patients than they could reasonably, you know, treat and check yes. on. Um, and you've probably everybody has heard, you know, the horror stories that, you know, you make a decision between checking on a patient that's, you know, uh, their oxygen level is, you know, decreasing versus the one that's hasn't, you know, been cleaned up after, you know, going to the bathroom on themselves in their bed. So, so they're always, and that's not just one day. This was went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So, uh, you know, one hospital system uh, that I'm aware of, at least, you know, uh, was 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 pretty quick to, um, you know, recognize that if they didn't have services for those medical workers to, you know, address their emotional needs, basically to, you know, confidentially talk to somebody, you know, and not feel like they were at risk of losing their job or being judged that they're not doing a good job just, you know, because they're, you know, uh, at their at their limit. So, um, so, you know, there, some hospitals set up, um, crisis intervention lines and, and texting services. Um, some limited support groups, you know, as, as well, um, came out of that and really just, you know, the information getting out to folks, you know, about this is normal for now, you know, how you're feeling. So, you know, part of it was educational as well. Um, you know, what is PTSD? you know, was widespread or continues to be widespread, if I'm being, you know, honest about it. Yes. Um, one of our faculty, yeah, was um, jumping, you know, on onto that is a project that's serving a large hospital system, and mm -hmm. we're very proud of her. And uh, one of the things that I want to piggyback on that, matter of fact, it was the first interview that I did for the series, a social worker that I spoke to uh, said that she was keenly aware of the fact that in the hospitals, and I, and I saw this written as well, and I heard it from several social workers, that in the hospitals, that when the doctors and the nurses and the nurse practitioners and the physician's assistants, when they finished their shift, you know, the first thing that they would do, they would go to the social work office and go in to debrief and to mm -hmm. de-escalate their emotional state of being. They knew where to go. They knew that they could go mm -hmm. to the social work office because... The professionals in there were uniquely trained and skilled and educated to be able to help them 
unload some of that uh, grief and, and stress and trauma. And so that, that was another indication of, you know, the silent role that people don't know that social workers play because like you said, more likely than not, that doctor or that nurse, they won't go in an you know, announcement or talk about it publicly that that's where they went, but they know where to go because they know who's trained to help people do that better than social workers because that that is part of our job is to help people Mm -hmm. negotiate and navigate some of the the challenges and the stressors and the strife that people go through on a regular basis and social workers are uniquely trained to help them to get through that. And then Mm -hmm. there's the issue of many of my colleagues I've heard from said, and after all that said and done, then who helps the helpers? Where do the social workers go to get yep. assistance? And that's the other social workers. So we're almost like the end all to be all. And again, one of my other colleagues said, by no means are we looking for a pat on the back. We just really want people to recognize everything that we do and that we're just as essential and frontline as the doctor, the nurse, the delivery guy, and even some more so because when everybody else is uh, – looking to get some comfort and get some uh, some some counseling and some therapy, for lack of a better word, they all know that let's go to the social work office or, or let's go to a social worker. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm glad you brought that out in the topics that you spoke about. And I think that's really interesting. And, and I, I, I see that as something that really needs to, without, you know, uh, naming the you know, the faculty member or the hospital that needs to be publicized because people probably wouldn't even know that. And the other thing mm-hmm. I, I think is very important is how social workers are addressing the fact that we've seen that people of color being disproportionately affected by the coronavirus outbreak. How are social workers addressing that? And what is the students take on what they can do to address that? If, if you could speak to that just a, just a, a, a tad. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, well, you know, to to put it, you know, in context or make it a little bit more concrete too, you know, I mean, what we experienced here in New York City was, you know, we have many, many hospitals, um, but uh, New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation runs the city-funded hospitals that um, serve the lower-income communities. And one of them probably is now, you know, almost a household name, Elmhurst Hospital, because that uh, was in national newsreels, et cetera, um, uh, in Elmhurst, Queens, um, which, um, you know, is serving a a poorer um, community, Hispanic, black, a lot of immigrants, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the, they they were they were overwhelmed, you know, because of uh, you know where um, the virus hit, and in a lot of ways, you know, not as uh, well resourced as the private hospital systems, which serve folks who are better off, obviously. Um, so, um, you know, that I think contributed to the problem in a lot of ways. You know, the healthcare workers at those hospitals. Um, Woodhill Hospital in, in uh, Brooklyn is another example that also was in the news a bit. They didn't have the fancy ventilating masks that they had at other hospitals, at least not until much, much later. Their, you know, um, healthcare workers were likely, you know, I don't have the data on this, but likely exposed and became sick at much higher levels. And that also then contributes to a lower level of care. So, and this is then all uh, falling upon 
people who are already vulnerable, people who are already more susceptible to um, some of the health conditions that, you know, the virus preyed on, high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, any kind of respiratory conditions. So, so yeah, so I mean, that's, you know, the, the bleak picture that we saw, and it, and it is a racial justice issue because, you know, not everybody in these five boroughs gets the same kind of care. Not everybody gets the same quality care, doesn't get the same access, and to answer your question, what can social workers do about it? I mean, there's 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 a lot, <laughs> but um, you all know, focus on two things. I mean, in terms of like the racial justice issues, one level of it is just you know we often are already the ones who are leading conversations about race, racism, and racial justice. How things like that, like racial justice and healthcare, are interconnected. So we already have a vocabulary to speak about that in a sophisticated way, and we do need to use our voices. We need um, to keep that you know, um, issue alive well beyond this particular crisis. And, and then you know, they, we can advocate, and there is legislation to support both on you know, the federal level and on the state level. What, where that money ends up going is to you know, publicly funded hospital systems, is to um, other essential workers, you know, who are uh, working at a city agency like HRA, which, you know, takes care of uh, homeless people, um, uh, or ACS taking care of uh, kids in foster care. Also funding the schools and the public school system, you know, is a lifeline in a lot of ways to, uh, you know, poor families, you know, not just the food, the lunch program, breakfast program, etc., which, you know, got a lot of attention and yes. are certainly important. Absolutely. But, you know, as a schools, public schools provide a lot of different services to, um, to kids and for, you know, working parents, most, you know, uh, families do have, you know, working parents for sure because uh, the cost of living, um, they, there are after school services, there are socio, socio-emotional services that uh, young people receive for, uh, from, from the schools there. So, yes, are captured as well because often the focus is, you know, well, of course cities need this funding because of police officers. Um, so, you know, and, you know, that's true, but it's that, that's not the only thing that, you know, is, uh, you know, in need of funding and, you know, has been impacted, you know, by um, both, COVID and the economic downturn too, you know, we need to preserve jobs, not have more people on unemployment. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there are also a myriad of ways that social workers are are confronting this uh, tremendous health care and mental health crisis. And there's not one population that a person could think of where a social worker isn't playing an integral part in helping that particular segment of the population to work through some challenging issues. I mean, you named quite a few, you know, you said, you know, the the social workers are there during this pandemic, you know, helping those that are homeless, children in foster care, adopted children. There was a big article that talked about the dangers of this uh, quarantine and, and, and stay at home, the dangers that it presents to those that are suffering or been uh, exposed to domestic violence being the fact mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. now they're all, all of a sudden they're trapped with their abuser and can't go anywhere. Um, and almost like they, they don't even have a way to, to get help. You know, that created a lot of concern. Uh, there was a story about one social worker who kept going to the school to at least be there for, you know, some of her, her, her students because a lot of them were, you know, 
victims of domestic violence and abuse and mm-hmm. and they were so worried that the children would really really you suffer a lot of mental anguish and so i think when we look at the role that social workers play there's so many different layers to what we do and then uh i talked two weeks ago with uh my my second uh interviewee she talked about the veteran population and how many of them um, are very dependent on social workers and so we think that there's not a lot that social workers do and most of the time when you say social work or social workers, many people, they, they even think that it's someone that helps someone get food stamps or there's someone that, you know, works for CPS and takes people's children away when they're not being cared for properly. But it's so much more. And so that's why, Professor Peters, it's really important to have this dialogue and to keep this issue out front. And mm-hmm. while we're in this pandemic and as we hopefully slowly get ready to come out of it, to not forget that social workers were there on the front lines. And uh, I know mm-hmm. there were some concerns that some of the hospitals, as they started coming up with their reopening plans, some of the hospitals might be thinking about uh, leaving social workers and social work interns out of their reopening plans. And I think that would be a shameful travesty. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I think what, what I think about there is that, you know, it touches back on uh, a point you were making earlier about social workers providing a very specific role in in hospitals and being a trusty resource to um, folks who work there. So some of that has to do with culture, too. And we as social workers, we go in as agents of change. Um, I know you're familiar with this concept and probably a lot of your listeners are. But um, we see both, you know, the patient as our client and the entire system as our client. And we understand the complexity of that. We understand the clash between medical model practice and, um, you know, more interactive uh, environmental ecological approach um, uh, that you would have. And, you know, again, in order for healthy, you know, people to be sustained, you need that understanding. So that, you know, would be one point. You know, in in a more concrete kind of way, you know, a really critical piece of, you know, healthcare is caregivers. And yes. social workers are often, you know, the ones who are serving caregivers and providing emotional support to them, also providing them with education about how they can better, you know, uh, Uh, play that role, getting them the help that they need um, in order to feel that they're secure with their loved one or their loved one, you know, their their health and security is taken care of. So, you know, well, there's, uh, my hope is that things get better. I mean, there, there, of course, is a balance between, you know, opening up safely and, you know, that is going to require some reduction in actual people on the scene. But in terms of the planning and in terms of, you know, phasing in, you know, these uh, critical services, um, you know, that really cannot be overlooked. Social workers play a, a very important role in the healthcare system. Yes, yes, they do. And, and they always have um, and they always will. Um, and one of the things, you know, as we get ready to wrap this up is we want to make sure that all the listeners know that once things get back to and I always use this phrase, whatever normal is going to look like <laughs> when, when we do get back to normal, whatever that is, and things kind of like, you know, really level out. There's going to be a lot of fallout from this emotionally, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, financially, economically. And, and again, social workers will be the ones that are there to really address all of those issues after the fact. 
And even though mm-hmm. um, we know, you know, in the hospital, the doctors and the nurses, you know, they play such an integral part and, you know, we do salute them. And I've said this in, in several of my other, you know, interviews and, and discussions with social workers. When that doctor's done all he, he can um, and the nurses, you know, medicated the person and made sure that their respirator is uh, working properly and there's nothing else that they can do. In many instances, we really want people to know that it's a social worker that's sitting there with that patient, with that client, uh, sometimes holding their hand. I've heard some really uh, touching stories about social workers being with someone because, you know, their family couldn't be there and they were the ones that, you know, sat with them, mm-hmm. unfortunately, while they took their last breath and then had to call the family member and tell the family member, that assure them that they were there. So people need to really take into consideration there's so much that goes into what a social worker does on a regular basis and it's not easy work it's very trying Mm -hmm. work it's very uh, emotionally challenging stressful work and so we really want um, the listening public to really hopefully develop a deeper appreciation once this is as over as over is going to be that social workers um, they always have been there and they're always going to be there um, and just give them a little bit more uh, appreciation and recognition Um, And then the last thing I'd like you to just kind of leave our listeners with uh, just a closing thought about the realities of the the system that finds individuals, uh, people of color with uh, less resources and and being affected more and how social justice and economic justice is a big part of what social workers have always fought for, but will have to fight for even more as we try to pick up the pieces from this pandemic you know, leave our listeners with something that um, they can think about, about the role of social workers have played and are going to play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, racism and systematic racism existed before COVID and social workers also were at the forefront of uh, pushing the racial justice uh, agenda um, for sure. So, um, so in that sense, you know, it's, it's not necessarily new, but that we will be there to steer the course, so to speak, as we heal. The main thing I thought about, you know, around uh, racial justice was COVID-related stuff and, you know, the need for um, things like, you know, better surveillance of uh, COVID uh, patients that, believe it or not, there was no requirements to record uh, the race or ethnicity of um, any of the folks who are stricken with um, COVID. So there is legislation and social work organizations are, you know, involved in pushing for those types of reforms. And why that's important is that you obviously need to have an understanding of who's most at risk for this to target resources appropriately. So we have to learn some lessons from this. I mean, we have those lessons, I guess I should say. What we need is the data to say, you know, look, you cannot dispute this. This is what the picture actually looks like. So there is, at the New York State level, there, you know, is a a bill that's moving forward would require the New York State Department of Health to collect data regarding race and ethnicity. Then fast forward, you know, to the variety of racial justice issues in terms of the treatment of police towards black people obviously has been a big, big problem for a long, long time. And we've experienced another uh, terrible tragedy. 
I see the the issues as related in yes, some ways absolutely. because criminal justice, you know, does relate to health and relates to, you know, a variety of different types of outcomes, you know, whether it's economic, whether it's uh, mental health we talk about, you know, your own sense of personal safety, stress level. Stress is a big thing, too. Um, we know that black folks have a higher level of stress simply due to the racism that exists, you know, in our society. So that's something that social workers will marshal, you know, the, that those issues forward. I know that we will, you know, be looking, you know, at uh, you know ways that we can make a fairer system for for everybody. And some of that has to do with legislation as well, and things that social workers have been involved with. So, you know, in the New York State level, just to you know throw out to your listeners another bill, Bill A one zero four three one is a racial equity bill that will require employers to provide uh, workforce demographics and equity measurements to the Division of Human Rights so that we have a broader picture of, okay, where, you know, where are the disparities and where's the accountability to that the lowest wage workers are all of a particular race? You know, that's how that happened. Let's, you know, talk about that. And I think, you know, that alone, you know, has some impact, too, in keeping the conversation going and giving us the data to say, hey, we are not just making this up. This is a big problem. And we need economic fairness. We need racial justice. And, you know, these are some of the steps that we can take towards realizing that. Absolutely. And as you said, uh, the numbers don't lie. So um, those are things that um, really need to be scrutinized a lot closer so that as a society, we work towards uh, some of the ideals that are built right into the NASW Code of Ethics, which is the you know the guiding force for the social work profession in general. So that's going to wrap it up for us here. I want to thank you, Professor Peters, for taking time out of your schedule and enlightening our listeners. Uh, my pleasure. This is great. Thank you so much. And again, to all our listeners uh this has been a special segment of the kelson on the air social work podcast this has been social workers confronting covid19 with compassion courage and character and our special guest for today has been professor andrew peters and he is again the director of social work programs at adelphi university's manhattan center thank you all for listening this is silas your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.